What is the biggest problem affecting your PDR business? What is the one thing holding you back from taking the next step? What do you need to change to get the business growth you want? All these questions have the same answer. It's your mindset. My name is Corey Kleinfeld, and this is the PDR Coach Podcast, where I coach you on mindset around yourself and your PDR business. Now let's get started. Okay, real quick before we get started, you guys have probably heard that intro a bunch of times over the last year or so that I've put out podcasts, um, that me asking those questions and saying the answer to them is mindset. And now I have a couple options to help you with that. Um, I'm mostly focusing on the newer techs now to help bring them up into the industry and help them get further faster. First option I have is the PDR Launchpad, and that's for techs uh, between zero and two years in business. Uh, it's an eight-week program to help you launch your business into success. The second option that I have is the Young Guns PDR 20 group. That's for techs up to five years in business, zero to five years in business. I'm partnered up with Gene Fetty on that. And that is a mastermind group that runs for a year to help you get your business further faster. So uh, if you want to know when these signups are open for that, then go to my website at coachcoreyk.com and enter in your email address. You'll be in my email list. And when when I open enrollment for either of those programs, you will know. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the PDR Coach Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Chris White. Chris Wright is, is the creator of the Kiko Glue Pulling Systems that we all love. Chris found his way into the PDR industry in an interesting way, and I'm sure we're all thankful that he did. I'll make an assumption that most of you know what Kiko is and have some of their stuff, but if not, you can go to Kiko, kikotabs.com to check it out. Today, Instead of talking about the tools and the new stuff and the glue polling system, we're going to talk about Chris, who he is as a man, and how he has helped shape our PDR industry. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, Corey. Thanks so much. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, excited to talk about, I don't know, business life, you know, all, all the things that, that, that matter the most. So. Yeah, all the stuff behind the tabs, behind right. the releases, yep. behind the ideas for the, for the glue polling system and things like that. Um, I asked this to all my podcast guests because we're all PDR related. Um, your answer might be a little bit different, but um, how did you get into the PDR industry or find the PDR industry? And if and I'll put put a, an extra asterisk on that, you uh, you started in the Kiko Plastics and found your way into PDR. Just as a as a as a side note for people, how did you do that? Why PDR? This tiny little yeah. weird niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, here, here's the here's the story behind that, Corey. Um, you know, our uh, core business. You know, Kiko's been in existence actually since 1963 as a contract manufacturer of injection molded plastic parts. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I came to the company uh, after graduating directly after graduating college uh, in 1994 as an engineer worked my way uh, to managing the the thing by 2000 and then in 2004 um, I uh, bought it from the existing owner at the time and uh, you know that was really a a blessing and a great opportunity. And the fact that the guy that owned it uh, decided to sell it to me rather than to give it to his kids. And so, um, oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, and then in answering your question, you know, mm-hmm. um, every, I feel like every uh, contract manufacturer of, of plastic parts 
uh, thinks to themselves, I would much rather make a product, you know, we, we would be more excited, we'd have a greater margin, we'd have more opportunity in life if we could make a product, uh, have our own brands. And, you know, I, I, I thought about that for a period of time, again, you know, uh, started in 94, at whatever, 20, mm-hmm. 22 years old, and, you know, so then I owned it by the time I was 32. Uh, and, but I, you know, it seemed like, um, you know, not to be disrespectful to our core business because, you know, I'm very thankful for our core business, but, you know, I'll just use the term that I've used in the past of arguing over pennies on, on a few plastic parts just wasn't, didn't, I didn't have the same passion for that. Excite you. Yeah. It didn't excite me. Just to clarify. So basically like you take over the business, you say contract manufacturer. So someone, some manufacturers looking for uh, uh injection molding company to make a little plastic part for, it could be anything like a toy or like, sure. like anything. Sure. Right. And they're like, yeah. Oh, I need a million of these little pieces or whatever. And I want each one made for this many pennies. And then the other injection molding places, I'll do it for like seven cents. And you're like, I can do it for like 6.8 or is this like what you're talking about? Like that. That's type. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. just like that, that not sort of, exciting. <laughs> that sort <laughs> of interaction, you yeah. know, though it pays the bills and though it, you know, like I said, it's, it's where we started. Sure. You know, okay. I, I felt like us and every other uh, contract manufacturer, uh, you know, as you have well described it, sure. um, thinks of having their own products, but then more or less just waits for uh, those products to hit them over the head, I suppose. Uh, and but that, I mean, that doesn't know, happen though. That just doesn't happen. Okay. Right. You know? And, and, and so, uh, and I thought about that and it, you know, it took, uh, years, I suppose. Uh, but you know, I get real reflective at the end of, uh, years, um, and then, and real optimistic about the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just something that I feel like, God gives us, you know, that turning of the calendar is, is just a really mm-hmm. exciting uh, time. And yes. so it was, you know, 2008 going on 2009, where I thought, okay, I'm, I'm tired of, you know, waiting for the product idea to hit us over the head, we're just going to try some stuff. And so at the end of 2008, moving into 2009, um, you know, on, on actually January 2nd, uh, you know, and, and I think maybe you and I talked about this at one point, I, I, I get so excited about New Year's and then and everybody talks about how great the New Year's going to be. And then we say, OK, well, let's take the day off. You know, so January 1st, you know, <laughs> instead of hitting the ground running, we like take the day off, which to me, you know, never has made sense. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not against holidays. I love holidays. I love Christmas. I love, you know, I love Thanksgiving, I, you know, but like New Year to me means like, go, let's go to work and, and running so, a race. And they're like, go. And yeah. you're like, I'm going to start in like 10 minutes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> So anyway, uh, so I go in January 2nd and I tell all my uh, uh, small staff of people, I'm like, look, we're, we're a products company. Um, and they're like, well, Chris, we don't make anything. I'm like, well, we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. I like we, it has to be, that decision has to be made before we ever, you know, become a products company. We don't, it's not, it's not about the products. It's about the mindset. And so, uh, and then we began to just try different things. You know, we've, uh, we, we tried, that was in the days, I don't know how many 
old golfers there are out there, but that was in the days when the zero friction tees uh, oh, yeah. were um, first those. coming out and the, the little, little, like, prong, uh, little three prong tree yeah, with, yeah. without, uh, you know, less service area. And, and they were really popular, a little plastic tee. And so, but, you know, I, I had some and, and I noticed that when you bend a prong, you can't put a golf ball on anymore. And so basically we made a golf tee that was that we called the Talon uh, and it had uh six prongs instead of three that were half as wide and so we could claim the same surface same area friction, contact, yeah. but yeah same same zero friction but yeah. with uh you know and if you if you bent one or broke one then it would still hold the ball just fine so that was our that was our first product and you know it was it was cool to have our own product it was cool to have uh but you know very difficult to jump into um, a, a new market like golf products and, and be a one trick pony a little bit, you know? Sure. And so, uh, so anyway, then we, we, we made a little practice golf ball and, and, you know, anyway, that the golf stuff didn't really ever take off. Uh, but one of the guys that worked for me, he brought me, uh, a little red, uh, glue tab that was, had concentric rings on it. Um, it was the worth tabs. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I said, you know, Terry, what's this? And he said, well, my uh, son-in-law's a dent guy. And I said, well, what's a dent guy? And, <laughs> and he said, well, you know, paintless dent repair. Uh, and, you know, these things sell for like two bucks a piece. We should make these. And I said, oh, yeah, that's a, you know, seems like a good product, uh, Terry, but I don't know anything about that industry. Um, and so I took it and set it on my desk, but I appreciated the fact that, you know, some guy that works for me is, is trying to help us, you know, move along toward our end of having our own products. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if that thing sat there for days or a couple of weeks and I got to thinking about it. I remembered that one of my other customers that, uh, I make, uh, components for his products. Uh, this guy makes uh, drywall stilts, construction stilts for the you know, the guys that um, hang drywall or whatever. Yeah. You know, they stand on those stilts. Yeah. Uh, and we make a lot of the products for him. And this guy's uh, name is Raymond Emmert. And so Raymond, um, his son uh, was Mr. Sid Emmert. Uh, that is the uh, was the founder of, of, of Dentcraft. You know, we, we lost uh, Sid um, a number mm-hmm. of years back, you know, to that plane crash. But, um, you know, so so there in, in 2009, uh, I went and um, called Raymond and said, hey, will you introduce me to your son? And so, um, you know, he introduced me to, to his son, Sid. And then, you know, Sid, I kind of told my story of, I want to make products and, you know, I want to be a products company and, and, you know, Sid kind of, I was in his office and he kind of sat back and he kind of looked at me and, you know, I felt like he was sizing me up a little bit and, 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 and Sid said to me, I want to help you. And he reached into his desk drawer and he got a big sack of plastic tabs and set it on the, on a desk. And he said, I think this is every tab that's made today. And he said, I want to tell you what's wrong with them in my opinion, what, why the, you know, what works and what doesn't. And so I got out a notepad and I started taking notes and then I took the plastic tabs and I took them back here to our facility and I started testing them. melting them and burning them and trying to figure out what they're all made of. And, uh, ultimately, you know, we made our, uh, our, our first tabs, the, the, uh, dimple tabs out of our, uh, traditional blue material that's been, um, our core material for, you know, the, you know, since inception. 
And, and it was just what a little year bit was better that? tab. Yeah, it was just a little bit better tab than, than what was available um, before. What year, what year was that, Chris? That, you that, made was, 2009. that 2009. was 2009. That was 2009. Okay. Yeah. And so that was, you know, um, it's, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, when you say earlier that, you know, I'm the creator of our product line, you know, I, I guess that's true. Uh, but, you know, all along in the course of my business and life, and certainly in this, um, what we call GPR, Glupole Repair business that we have now, there's just been uh, people that have just chosen to help me, you know, uh, and help educate. And like, you know, I, I'm way better at uh, like taking um thoughts and ideas in from uh, all sorts of sources and then sort of distilling those into something then then coming out of uh you know nothingness with with mm-hmm. a new idea right mm-hmm. you know so so anyway uh it's 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 really um been a, an amazing uh journey but but it is uh sit in emert of dentcraft that had that helped me uh to be able to get into the uh the, the tab business. that's fascinating okay i want to i want to that was a great story um i love i love how you found your way into that and i want to go back and touch on a couple things because people that listen to my podcast is they know this is how i this is how i do podcasts but you went in january 2nd and told your company we're a products company and everyone's looking at their leader like wait how much did this guy drink last night during new year's eve like you were not a products company i don't know what you're talking about and you said it's the mindset it's the belief and all that stuff first and i think that's Super important because you go in, you tell your team, hey, we're a products company. This is what we're going to focus on now. We're going to put energy and effort and just brain power, focus and attention into this area. Had you not done that, there's zero chance your employee, close to zero chance your employee brought a little plastic tab from his son-in-law in and said, hey, look at this thing, right? That's right. I'm guessing because he wouldn't have known that's on your radar. If you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I I don't want my employees to think that I'm going to, shift the shift my attention to something else they might be scared we're we're a contract manufacturer company all those types of things in your head can go on and prevent people from from doing that stuff and from going to the team and saying this is what i want if you don't do that that never happens we don't have kiko taps fair fair to say that's fair to say what makes you make that decision like how do you do that as a leader to go in and and completely change the way that you look at your business say i want to focus on this direction now as well yeah, I think that that's it's just willing to take risk is, is what it really boils down to. I think, uh, and like, I think every entrepreneur uh, certainly has uh, varying levels of uh, risk tolerance, um, and and I'm by no means, you know, even though I've you know done a few different things, uh, in business that have been, and the biggest risk was, was buying this business to begin with. Um, I've done a few things, you know, that, that, um, are, are risky of course, but, but, but really I'm no riverboat gambler as far as, uh, (laughs) as far as an entrepreneur goes, but you just have to be willing to what, what it is that you're chasing has to be more valuable than what you might have to give up, you know, to, uh, to achieve that, you know, and that's, you know, you kind of have to hold what you have with an open hand and then go chase, mm-hmm. you know, what yeah. it is that you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think that that's the, I think that that's the secret sauce, you know, to being able to make that decision. You yeah. know, it, it, I just, I had been in that business of just contract manufacturing and, 
and worked on trying to grow it and and I and I grow grew it so fast that I almost killed it, you know, because you know the margin were so slim and being able to grow exponentially when your margins is, are slim is is very, very risky. Uh and so I just I understood the business really well and I just thought I don't want to be in this business the way it is, you know, uh for the next 20, 30 years. 30 years I, yeah. I have to change it. You know, I have to, you know, like I I'm I'll either sell it or I'll change it, you know? Yeah. And so it, so really that's, that's, that is the decision that was made. And and I think it, it's a really important, um, really important point to, to say that, you know, so many things that, you know, when you look back on, okay, well, how did I get here? It had to do with a decision that was made, you know, and it's like, you know, it, it gosh, uh, I was married in 1997 and, and we're still married today. And, you know, guess what? That just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is um, a decision that was made, you know, by both my wife and I to Mm -hmm. be uh, very loyal to one another. And, and guess what? Like those are decisions that like, you know, it's not like, Oh, okay, well, how'd you get here? Well, you know, we were very purposeful about that decision, you know, and, you know, you just decide to do certain things. Uh, and, and then, you know, the results, uh, tend to follow what those decisions are. So, Absolutely. and your wife is, your wife's very nice. I met her at Anson and she lovingly sat there and listened to guys talk about dent stuff for hours and hours. And hours. <laughs> yep. Now that, that's part of the, that's part of the game yeah. with, with me, but like, I will say that, um, just a, a plug for, for, for dent guys in general. And the fact that, um, you know, my wife cares way more about relationships than she cares about products and Mm -hmm. what she has learned when she's been traveling with me now that our kids are older and she can travel with me uh, some is that, man, there's great guys, man. There's just so many great guys, uh, in, in, in the dent business. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we, we have some of our best friends, you know, have, uh, our, our dent guys, right. You know, and and guys that work with us regularly. And when, when they come to town, they don't stay in hotels, they stay in our home, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I'm just so thankful for that because it really does create an element of, um, you know, it comp- it complicates things at times, but man, relationships are what drive uh, me at least, you know, and, you know, having strong relationships and, and people that I care about and in that I also happen to work with is, yeah, is, awesome. is, is really just, uh, it kind of pours fuel on the fire for me, yeah. you know, so, uh, and, and, and I'm just, you know, exceedingly thankful for that. Yeah. So. Um, to put the, the, your, the we are a products company quote into perspective i i think you and i think very very similarly about about you know holding thing in one hand doing doing something other you know at the same time for what you really want that's what i'm currently doing with the coaching side i'm i'm a pdr tech for the most part that's mm-hmm. where i that's my main contract manufacturing business if you will while also trying to do this other thing <clears throat> and over time it will build i think most people didn't know Kiko as what Kiko is now until several years ago, but you made your first tab in 2009. That's mm-hmm. uh, 11 years ago now, long time ago. It doesn't, doesn't, one, it doesn't happen overnight, right? But so I, I've developed this, like, 
I'm really big into mindset and I've developed this mindset um, that I've turned into an acronym and it's B-E-A-R, which is bear. And the first thing is, <clears throat> is belief. You have to have a belief in what you're doing first. So like we're a products company, you have that belief. The second, the E is environment. So you can't do this thing alone, right? You got to go start telling people about it, whether that's your team, even if it's scary or your competitor, potential competitor, right? With Dent Craft and lo and behold, he helps you right? You have to surround yourself with these environment of people, relationships, and that's how you'll excel so much faster, right? So BE, and then you can do those two things, but nothing happens unless you take action. So you got to take the tabs home and you got to burn them and melt them and test pull them and do all the things. You got to take action on that stuff, spend some money, probably a lot of time messing with things with who the heck knows if you'll make any money on the back end. And then that's how you get results. That's the R. That's how you get results. Um, so that's like the mindset that I run through things all the time. Okay. I got to believe it first. Got to surround myself with people who can help me make it happen, take action on it. And then I can get the results that I want. So, um, I talk about that a lot because it's the way that I run things through my head now. And it's helped me a lot in giving perspective on doing new things. Um, to go back even further back in our conversation, owning Kiko 32 years old is young. Like you said, you were lucky to get it from the kids, the uh, the riskiest thing you've done is purchasing the company. Do you care to talk about that? I love talking about numbers. If you'd like to share them, please oh, do. Yeah. Um, you don't have to, but yeah. um, like, why did you think you were able to buy a company at 32? How did you do that? I'm guessing you were leading people that were older than you. Um, how did you just talk about how that, how that happened? I'm interested. Uh, yeah. You know, great question. And, you know, I, I would say uh, that I tend to be a little bit more, you know, private about things uh, like this, yeah. but, but here's, but here's what I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you some things that, that I wouldn't normally want to, you know, say yeah. publicly, I don't think, uh, but um, you know, here's the, situation you know i wanted to have my own business since the you know when i learned what entrepreneur meant when i was about 10 <laughs> years old that's what i wanted to be and the i had a uh, my, my brother-in-law uh gene vogel was the only guy that i knew that had his own business and i thought that was the coolest thing ever and i thought i gotta have my own business someday and so you know i got into to uh, college i was actually going to be a business major because I thought, okay, that's what I should do to have my own business. And sure. then I thought, well, gosh, you know, there's, you know, I started talking to people and I realized that, you know, business majors were having a little bit of a hard time getting a start. And then, you know, I look around, there's a lot of things made out of plastics. And uh, the, the school that I went to Pittsburgh state in Pittsburgh, Kansas was one of, I believe four schools at the time uh, that had a plastics engineering program. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, okay, I'll just, you know, it'll be a, I'm not a riverboat gambler, you know, I'm a little bit more strategic than that. So like, okay, let's, let's go Useless you know, into engineering, let's get that base. And then let's like move toward, you know, we still have the decision in mind to have our own business. So anyway, bottom line is that's what took me there. And then in getting to the place where, okay, do I buy this business or not? Or, or what, how do I get my own business? My, my boss at the time, I think he really, understood because we talked a lot you know he really understood that I wanted to have my own business and he understood that if that meant like quitting a good job and 
buying a cup, borrowing a bunch of money and buying a couple of machines and putting them in my garage, then that's what I was going to do. do. You know, okay. Can, like, you, can you know, I and, pause you for one second? I apologize. Yeah. I feel like I need to, um, again, a conversation that you had with your boss that very few people ever have to go tell your boss to have him know that you want to be an entrepreneur or that you want to continue to grow or do something right. Right. People don't say that. What makes you, no, what don't. makes you, what makes you, I guess, risky enough, comfortable enough to, from an employee perspective, tell your, your, your boss that you want to be an entrepreneur. And if you have to leave to go do that and start in your garage, you will. And then on the other side, when you do own the company to tell them, Hey, we're completely changing directions. Do you have any insight into how people listening can, can be willing to have those conversations because they are important conversations to have, but most people don't do that. You would, you would not have bought the business. He would not have wanted to sell the business to you if he did not know that you were capable and really had that massive a desire to own it. That's the way I see it. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, you're, you're, you have those conversations. You're absolutely right. And, and listen, I think these are great questions. And and (laughs) let me say that the way that it sounds when I tell the story it sounds like I'm like just the boldest guy and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm walking into his office saying, I'm going to, you know, have my own business. And like, like, that's not the way, it, you know, yes, I got that message across, but the first thing I did is worked my ass off for that man. Like I just showed him, my you, I, I, you know, I, I worked this place. Like I owned it, you know I mean? Like, and, and so he knew that and he saw that. You know, so like you, you, you can't get that kind of respect uh, without putting in the work, Just you know, in your so, mouth. so, so I was, I was a hundred percent like Kiko as an employee. I mean, like, li- listen, I mean, at the end of the day, like it didn't embitter me at all, you know, to work my butt off for him, for his benefit, you know, I mean, I was happy to do that. I just also was happy to be able to let him know that, man, that's what I want someday is to be in, 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 in your role, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so that's really the way it started was being able to say, look, you know, and, and asking a lot of questions, you know, I I asked a ton of questions, you know, I mean, I was an engineer, you know, and so why am I asking questions about how to run the business? Because I want to, you know, I mean, like, that's what I want to be able to do. And so, you know, it, it, and really it was just building relationship with him. And the, you know, the truth is, I think that in many ways, because of being able to approach him in that manner and ask him, you know, 10,000 questions about, you know, how do you run a business and, you know, how did you, how did you get started? And, you know, like people want to talk about those things, yes. but mostly folks won't ask, you know? And so it was really just, you know, me asking questions of him trying to learn. And then, you know, and then you get the opportunity to say, well, that's what I want to do, you know? So, um, that, and that's a great, that's a great perspective. I'm glad you gave that. It's not like you just went up one day and you're doing your thing in your contract manufacturer place. And you're like, Hey, just so you know, boss, I'm going to, I want to run this thing someday or start my own. (laughs) That's not how the conversation went. Yeah. It's not confrontational at all. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it comes out of it's, it's the fruit of building a relationship to where, yeah. you know, like he trusts me that I'm, you know, and like he knew that like as every day that I was here uh, working for him, I was going to work my butt off. Mm-hmm. And but he also knew that at some point I was probably going to leave, you know, yeah. if I didn't get a chance to own the thing. And so, yes. 
I think that that's what drove him to um, that coupled with maybe he, maybe he didn't, he must not have felt like that, you know, his son and daughter were in in a position to be able to run the business. I'm not sure they were both about 10 years older than me um, at at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, but, but yeah, that's, you know, that, that's really, it it came out of a, a building a relationship with him to where, you know, he understood um, you know, that, that, that this desire though, what's in me, it wasn't out of, hopefully it wasn't out of a self-centeredness or, um, or, or really, you know, an arrogance, but, but out of a, you know, just a, I don't know, a burning desire to own a business, you know? Um, and I want to draw an analogy to the PDR business, like you said, with, um, basically, I'm going to work my ass off here. And if I don't end up owning it someday, I will own something someday. In this industry, that's an issue, right? People work for other dent guys. They learn the skill. They go start their own business. My dad started PDR uh, with Dent Pro in 1991. One of the very original guys. 15 to 20 different people have worked for him. Now start their own business. A lot of competing businesses. A lot of people moved out of out of the area, etc. Go if you're if you're an if you're an employee listening to this and you're working for somebody. Go tell them your desires. Go tell them what you want out of life. Have a conversation with them. Work your ass off and tell them where you want to go in life. And if you own a business and you have people working for you, ask them what they want. If they work there, if they bust their ass and you're sitting there thinking like, man, this guy busts his ass. He's not going to want to work for me forever. Go have that conversation with him. Go see what he wants to do. Go see if you could be a part of that, whether you sell him the business or open up a shop with him or make him a part owner or something. I mean, that's really being able to have that conversation on both sides as employee employer and and if having your employer help you maybe achieve the things that you want in life is really half of what being an employer is about in my opinion it's not just giving them a paycheck um and so to to bring that into pdr i would i would do that if you if you're working for somebody or have people working for you have those conversations make sure you know cuz we have guys that work for us for a long time they're like dude i just I like what I do. I love pushing dents. I want to, I don't want to do anything on the business side. I want to get up, push dents and be happy and take care of me. Fantastic. Crush it for that. Crush it in that for them. If they want to own or do something like I said, eventually they're either going to own your business, kick you out of it or start their own. (laughs) Right. I mean, that guy probably knew like, damn, if this guy's, this guy's, if I don't sell him my business or do something, he's just going to start a competing business of some sort. So but I might as well, you know, take them under my wing and, and cultivate them in my business. I don't know. That's just my perspective. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I would also uh, say that, you know, that a great employee, you know, which is what I think you're describing a great employee, guess what? A great employee is going to make a lot of money for ownership of a business. I mean, and like, that's okay. That's Mm -hmm. actually the way it's supposed to be. You know, if you're a great employee, you should be making uh, great money for ownership, you know, and, you know, is there a conversation about, you know, Hey, you know, maybe I deserve a piece of a bigger piece of, of, of what I'm creating for the company. Sure. There's a the conversation there, but it can't be at a place where you're embittered against ownership because more or less you're, you know, running a guy's business or, or, or most valuable part of a, of a guy's business. I mean, because you, there's no 
what you've done as an employee, I mean, yeah, there's some risk in that, you know, and, and listen, I've been on both sides, but, but it's not the same level of risk. Um, and so you have to be able to be willing to, you know, separate if necessary and go start that thing from, from scratch and, yeah. and build it and then be in the position, you know, that that guy's in and go hire the guy that is the great employee like you've been. And, and, you know, the, that's, that's the process. And that's the process that will gain the respect of ownership versus feeling like, Hey, I'm sick of making you rich brother. You know, like, yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I mean, like that's, that's the... you know, that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't play well. And, it, and, and really it's just, it's just not right. It's just yeah. fundamentally not right. You know? Um, so anyway, yeah. So to bring you back around to owning Kiko, I took a couple tangents, but we're going to go back on that, on that track. Um, Cause I got to hear those things that you don't want to tell people. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> don't bring forget. Back up. Yeah. So, so honestly, you know, I had, zero dollars, you know, uh, really, I mean, you know, I didn't have much money saved yeah. up. Uh, and, you know, we, we started to talk through, you know, when he decided to sell me the business, well, guess who gets to name the price? You know, I mean, like the guy selling the business gets to name the price. And so, you know, when I really started looking at what he was asking me to pay for the business, it was, it was, it was way too much, you know? <laughs> and, and so I got uncomfortable, with that. And, you know, ultimately he was like, look, Chris, this is the deal. Like, you know, like take it or leave it. And, and, uh, and I, you know, and that kind of embittered me because I thought, well, you know, I'm, you know, this, this is more valuable because of what I've done. And, and yeah, see though, I would say you had the, the, I the, have to the advice, the advice you just gave, you're able to give that because you have those thoughts. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's that, you know, like I, you know, I, I, I'm having to pay for what I built, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I, you know, you know, it was, I would call it a heated exchange and, <laughs> and, and, you know, um, and so, and then I just kind of went dark for a couple of days thinking about it, you know, and then I thought, why am I thinking about this? Like, you know, I, I ultimately, you know, this I'm, you know, wasn't even 32 then because we were still kind of working through it. I was barely over 30 years old. And it's like, how, you know, this is a going concern. This is a going business. I mean, yes, paying too much for that is one thing, but like the risk of going out and borrowing a bunch of money to, to, to rent a place and buy machines and all mm-hmm. those sort of things. Like, like this is all I really have to do is side on this thing and then go make it happen, you know, and, and terms were way more important than price. And, but ultimately, you know, between building and business, you know, and I know this is what you want to know. I mean, it's like about 5 million bucks, you know, that I'm, that I'm borrowing and, you know, how do I get that? Mostly the bank wasn't going to be willing to, um, to, uh, provide funds they provided a little bit you know um yeah 32 with mostly, <laughs> not a lot yeah, of history yeah. mostly it was you know i mean i didn't have anything down really to speak of uh and so the, the you know it was owner owner finance owner carry deal and so you know now another reason why it's well you know guess guess what he gets to name the price you know if he's going to be willing to carry it um yeah. and and he was so um but yeah so then you know and so I signed my life away. Life away. So, yeah. And it's so funny. My, my wife has like zero risk tolerance. Were you married but, at 32? 
to, or 30 yes. to your wife? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, but here's the thing. Did you have any kids? Like, we did. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we had, gosh, I guess we had, did we have all three. We had at least two of the three. Um, oh, you had kids to... young then. So, you... yeah, yeah. Kids no, so uh, we would have, yeah, we had all three because yeah, Kale's born in 2003. So he was born kind of in the midst of all this uh, of trying to get the deal done, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. So, um, so then, you know, she had no idea what, what we were signing. Right. I mean, like they could have taken everything we had and, you know, and, and she knew the number and he was owner financing and she didn't know that he, basically everything you owned was on the line if you didn't yeah, make she income. Didn't. She, had, she had no idea like yeah. you know she knows a little bit more about the business today and we'll yeah. take like a little risk here and there and she'll yeah. get like uncomfortable and i'm like yeah it's a good thing you didn't know what kind of risk <laughs> you were in you know when you were 25 years old married uh, with three yeah. kids and <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly oh, so man. anyway um and then the funny thing is, I, I I say it's funny now, but like I, you know, after signing the deal, I thought, gosh, this is going to take me 10 years to pay for this thing. That's, that's way too long. I got to grow this thing. And so, mm-hmm. and we, we grew it by um, trying to grow revenue instead of profits, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, kind of like, you know, whoops, kind of thinking about, you know, like if, if you're a dent guy, you know, I, I love the, I love the guys that, uh, that talk about, you know, making sure they, you know, keep a good price structure, right. You know, mm-hmm. because at, because at the end of the day, like that, that'll kill you, you know, if you're, um, if you're pricing things too cheap, you know, yeah. and ultimately, yeah. you know, as we tried to grow the business, we, <clears throat> we bought revenue and man alive did that almost kill us. I mean, like in, you know, you want to know some, some numbers and some scary numbers. So, you know, I owed about 5 million bucks when I started, you know, within, two years, 18 months, 18 months. Uh, now I owed a million dollars more, uh, on a line of credit and that, and that line of credit was maxed out. I couldn't get one penny more. Uh, you know, I had, you know, I lost, um, a couple million dollars worth of business overnight, you know, to a bid where somebody else underbid me and by a penny. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) By a penny. And I lost millions of revenue overnight. And so, like now we were barely like barely profitable and then we lose that. And now we're like, not profitable, very unprofitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and that's why we, you know, exhausted our line of credit very quickly. And then all my accounts receivable was current, you know, nobody really owed me anything past due, but all my accounts payable was like at 90 mm. uh, and I, you know, I couldn't get any more money, you know, and my, my, uh, my payables were about a quarter of a million dollars more than my receivables. And like, literally, wow. I, I, you know, I don't even, you know, looking back on, I have no idea how we even made payroll during those periods. I mean, just only by the, you know, by the mm-hmm. grace of God that we make payroll. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, that is another thing that, you know, as we, yeah as we worked our way through that and started thinking about growing business in terms of growing margin versus growing revenue, um, you know, working through a time that is that critical where you almost lose the business was extremely uh, stressful uh, on me personally and on really on my family life and, 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 and all the way around, um, you know, cause I, I was call it like millimeters away from losing everything. Uh, and, 
literally like the bank, they didn't even want to take everything back because they just, you know, they didn't know what to do with it, you yeah, know, and, for, the, yeah. and the owner, the owner Kerry, he was like between the bank and the, and the, and the owner that had carried the thing, you know, they both like wanted to meet with me almost weekly to just to make sure I was still breathing. I think. Yeah. Make sure you're still, you yeah, haven't had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Neither one of them wanted the thing back because I'd created right. such, I'd created such a freaking mess. Uh, but ultimately we, we, you know, like shovel full by shovel full, we dug our way out, you know, I mean, did, you know, crazy, like I say crazy things. We did things, you know, you just start looking at everything you're spending. And, you know, we had a cleaning service in, you know, that was cleaning the office and I fired them and my wife and I started cleaning. This is cleaning the office now, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, it's just, just a, you know, mindset to dig your way out of that. And so, yeah, well, you know, you don't dig your way out, like, you know, like all at once, it's mm-hmm. like shovel full by shovel full and we, that we got. And then you guys got to think about this too. This is, this so, is over a span of years, right? Yep, and you, yep, when yep. you lay your head down at night, like we can have these conversations in over a five minute period, but think about these conversations. You lay your head down at night and you're like, I thought I wanted to own a business. <laughs> I thought I was going to be good at this. Maybe right. I'm, maybe I'm not, maybe I just need to go back to work for something. Like all those things on a daily constant oh, yeah. basis are just constantly bombarding you. And that's when mindset's super important. It's like, okay, you can focus on that. If you focus on that, you're assured to fail. Or mm-hmm. you could focus on, okay, what can I do today to make things a little bit better? I could start cleaning. I could start cleaning my own office and save, I mean, what were you saving a hundred bucks a month? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, yeah. we're talking about $6 million, million in debt. Right. Um, right. And you're saving 500 bucks, but people won't do that either. Right. Because right. it doesn't seem significant enough, but those are the little things. So um, next time you guys go take that tab and glue it on a car and pull on it and you're like, man, these things are expensive. Think about this conversation <laughs> yeah. and how these tabs came into existence. Right. Cause they almost didn't. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's awesome story. I think that's um, the perspective behind Kiko that are behind let's be most businesses in America, um, that you have to overcome those things in order to be a great business. So thanks for sharing that. Oh yeah. And the, 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 I would also, I guess, want to add that, you know, that kind of stuff that, that leaves like some lasting emotional scars, but it also leaves like, I'm, I wouldn't trade it for anything because Mm -hmm. I really recognize what's valuable. I mean, yes, you got to grow revenue, but you can't do it um, at, you know, at the expense of profits, you know, I mean, you, you you most definitely have to stay profitable as you, as you grow. Right. You know? And so uh, it's just like, I'm, I really um, have what I would say uh, is just a, I'm not nearly as capable of, I can't do the work uh, load that I could when I, you know, before I went through all that, because it just kind of like sure. left a mark, you know, sure. but, but I'm way wiser, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll yeah. take, I'll take wisdom every day. You if know, you literally over. think about that though, yeah. especially in a margin game like yours, if you're losing, you know, if you are actually losing, if you really know the number half a cent on each product that you're making, whatever, a golf tee, right. Mm-hmm. But you sign a $3 million contract to make golf tees, literally, that is speeding up the business's demise, even though it doesn't feel like it because you get a big lump sum up front to start it and you don't really feel the the loss of money till down the road because again, you can get accounts 
receivables a little early, accounts payables a little late. And that's what people end up doing. But like, what's your actual profit as a business? And that's something to focus on PDR business. Like that's why we charge high prices because after you pay insurance, buy all the Kiko tools that you need, uh, <laughs> um, drive to the person's house, run ads, all that stuff. Like what's your profit, right? Did you just create a decent job for yourself or is your business actually making profit? Like that's a question you have to ask yourself. Okay. Um, a little bit of a controversial thing, I guess, when I poke around the forums and see what's going on and stuff. So you made it through all that. You created the Kiko tabs, a lot of different reiterations. Obviously you got bridges now, all different ways to do GPR. Um, now you're killing PDR, right. By going into the body shops. I think some people do see it that way. They say like, why, why is this PDR company? Right. Cause we all perceive you as a PDR company, even though you weren't at first your plastics company that found an opportunity in PDR to help us. And you have greatly. Now you're moving into body shops. What's up, man? Like, aren't you, uh, aren't you, don't you like PDR? Why are you, why are you trying to <laughs> go into yeah, body no, shops? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good, good question. You know, and, and I'm really uh, happy, you know, to have opportunity to, to talk about uh, yeah. this move too, just because, um, you know, quite honestly, you know, glue pulling and, you know, glue pulling for, uh, collision repair, um, uh, companies, you know, uh, collision technicians is not PDR. I mean, it's absolutely not paintless dent repair. And yes. the truth is you, you just use, uh, the acronym, uh, GPR, you know, uh, mm-hmm. glue pull repair, which, uh, was actually coined in my conference room, you know, in uh, about October of 2018. And the reason why we did that is because, you know, I really didn't want, uh, there was t- two things. I didn't want the, the, you know, if I could help it, I didn't want to alienate the the paintless dent repair technicians and mm-hmm. help and making them think that we were trying to teach PDR to um, collision and, you know, what's funny is, as much as there are some uh, paintless knit repair technicians that worry uh, about that thought, uh, you know, if you spend time with uh, collision repair technicians, they, you know, they might say that they could probably do PDR, but like the truth is PDR scares them and they know that it take a long, long time for them to learn it. And so it, it, when anything associated with PDR, most of them would immediately just turn off, you know, like they would not be interested in, in having a conversation. So you the know, GPR was a two pronged approach. Right. There were two reasons for it. You yeah. know, one, you know, one being, you know, to glue pull repair, you mm-hmm. know, as a tool, uh, in a paintless dent repairs technician, uh, skill set mm-hmm. and, and, and glue pull repair as a, as a skill set for a body technician, right, right. It's, it's really, you know, that process is a tool, uh, and that's where, you know, when we created our loophole repair process, the last step is continue. And that is, you know, for, for, you know, once you get your, you know, uh, panel uh, pulled and knocked down properly to where, you know, uh, for a body Flat-ish. tech, you know, it means they're, they're ready for, for filler and paint, you know. Yeah. And for a PDR guy, you know, he may keep his glue tab out and keep working it, you know, to a smaller level till he gets, mm-hmm. or he might get his push tool out and, and, and finish it finish that it, way, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, the, the bottom line is uh, that it is not uh, uh, competing. It's not, you know, pushing um, 
paintless dent repair to the the uh, technician or to the uh, collision industry. It, it really is just using glue pull repair as a l- less invasive uh, way to 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 rough out a dent, you know. And so, uh, and and to a man, as as you know, guys like Gene Fetty and David Chalot and mm-hmm. and uh, all the guys that have worked with us closely, and all 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 the guys that I've really talked to, uh, you know. And I'll ask you the same question. You know, as we have, you know, made an impact uh, in uh, getting collision repair uh, technicians more aware of glue pull repair and maybe even their own tools to be able to rough out dents. You know, I'll ask Gene or Dave or whoever, like, has that created more or less business for you? Do they call you more often or less often as a PDR technician? And, and without fail, uh, they, they tell me that they get called more often, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not as if, you know, like the truth is like, I don't, there's way too many dents, uh, that are fixed conventionally that could be fixed with PDR, you know, today. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, the most common thing is, you know, I, I see it on, you know, uh, PDR, uh, Facebook groups where a guy gets, you know, frustrated with the fact that, um, a hail car, you know, gets Bondo put all in it, you know, uh, rather than, you know, uh, you know, fixed PDR, with, yeah. with, with PDR. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, the truth is, I think that, you know, the PDR community should be just as concerned with the big dent that gets, you know, filler put in it, uh, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily need it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, or not that, even that, but like placing parts, right. <laughs> doesn't yeah. need to be replaced if we're talking about industry wide thing here. Yeah. It's just an awareness mm-hmm. play. And, and like, yeah. I can just, I can just tell you that with, um, you know, you know, glue pole repair is very much the, the new darling of the collision industry in the fact that it is so uh, less invasive. I mean, we're not burning the backside of the panel, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or the front side of the panel. We're not removing paint. You know, we've, we've matter of fact uh, this month in June, we'll go out to California and and spend some time with, with with one of the OEMs uh, you know, showing our system. And I, I expect that we'll get, a couple of uh, I, for I feel really good that we're going to have a couple of OEM certifications on you know Kiko glue pole repair products and and those guys they don't want filler in their cars and yeah. you know does that sound like something that's threatening to PDR <laughs> you know to me that <laughs> like uh, like do, do you care to show who that is um you don't have to I probably shouldn't yet. That's fine. No, and yeah. it's not totally because sad. I don't want to. It's because they wouldn't want me to. I you know? that's fair enough. So, so I gotta uh, ask. It's my yeah, job. Yeah. No, 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 no. I appreciate that. So, as the scarcity versus abundance mindset going into this glue pulling into body shops and things like that, <clears throat> as body as PDR guys, we all know if you've been in and out of body shops, every body guys tried PDR. <laughs> it's not like it's it's not like. Kiko's introducing something that they like haven't thought of or tried to do. They see us come in, bill 300 bucks and leave. And they're like, Oh, but like, I want to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so they're not introducing something new. They've all done it. And I would say, take, take the abundance mindset. I have this body guy who has always disliked me. 
not not because of who I am, but because of what I do, right? Because I take his jobs from him, the easy jobs, quote unquote, right? Because I come in, I do a door ding on a blend panel that he was going to get paid X hours for, yada, yada. And so he'd always been, he'd always just looked at me. And we all have that body guy or a couple body guys that look at us like this fucking guy, like coming in again, making 200 bucks, taking my job, like getting all the scarcity mindset, right? And he asked me the other day, finally, first time he's talked to me in five years. So I've, I've worked in a stall a lot of times, um, which is actually funny because we did a, it, this is for Caliber Collision and we go to their Christmas party every year and we gave away a TV, like a big screen TV on their giveaway thing. And he won it. I found out. It's pretty <laughs> funny. Anyway, so like maybe he didn't hate me so much after all, but um, he asked me like, Hey, what do you think about this? Uh, like this glue pulling stuff whatever and and he's working on this door that's like the bottom of a f-150 door aluminum big soft dent in it and i'm like let me show you <laughs> he's about to do this door and i'm like i'll show you so i had my glue gun out i heated up it was kiko tab heated up put it on there put one pull on the thing it was like i knew it was a perfect situation right i wouldn't have done it if it, i knew it was perfect situation I'm like, oh, this yeah. is gonna be 90 percent 80 percent right tap some crowns or throw some skim coat on or whatever he was like do we were, like he was like we were going to replace that panel. And I'm like, I know that's what glue, glue pulling is about. Now you don't have to five minutes, if that. Right. And so just showing them, it, it doesn't mean that he's going to fix, he's not going to PDR that panel. It doesn't take away from me, but he no. thinks of me differently. He thinks of our, the industry differently. He, when he looks at dents now, he's going to look at like, Oh, I wonder if a PDR guy can help me. And that doesn't hurt us. Like you said, do you get more work or less work? It's more work because it's an awareness now when they look at the panel, it's not like, oh, let's just replace it. It's like, can we, can we do something else with it? Can we use PDR? Can we glue pull? Can we do something else? And that helps overall. That's my perspective on it. So um, hopefully some other, hopefully we change some minds on that for the guys that look at, look at going into body shops. Like, I don't know, man, I don't want you to hurt our, hurt our industry. Yeah. You know, I'm one of the guys that, uh, uh, that I really have a ton of respect for in the collision industry uh is a guy named uh barry dorn uh dorn's uh collision uh and you know barry you know has he's a leader in scrs and cic and Mm -hmm. sema and you know anyway um he is uh really uh you know a, a leader and ultimately you know as he was kind of a reluctant adopter you know of our mm-hmm. stuff uh, but you know he's he's more or less stopped stud welding he's like chris if we can't fix it with your stuff we just uh we just replace it uh, but mostly we can fix it with you know so they don't they don't stud weld That's anymore but but i like his perspective and the fact of what he's you know what he says about because this isn't just about stud welding and and glue pull repair it's it's about mindset and basically what he said was look like having your system is like having the future now, you know, he's like, look, you know, eventually like everybody's going to be glue pulling and the insurance companies are going to, you know, they're going to, you know, he said, I can't charge for consumables on studs because they're just like, you know, staples, you know, it's hard to, you know, but, but these little glue tabs, they look like something more, um, you know, highly engineered and they're, you know, less known. So, you know, I can charge, you know, for consumable on that, you know, for, for every panel I do glue pull. And so, you know, it's this thought of man, being aware of what's going on in your business and in, in, in the world around you, and then trying to understand 
where the future is going and then trying to get there today, you know, because that's how you, you know, because ultimately that's how you stay ahead is by, you know, understanding where that, where it's going and getting there today. And, and when you're there today, then you're ahead of everyone else. And so the truth is um, if we didn't bring loophole repair uh, to the way that we're bringing loophole repair to the collision industry, not only in the United States, but around the world. And, and we have confidence in that. And that's why we bought TDN and, yep. and mm-hmm. things that we're doing there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like that, uh, if we weren't going to do it, somebody else is going to, because it, it is, you know, and so ultimately, you know, it's, 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 it's taken on the future and, 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 and trying to do it today, you know, someone else so that is, is, that is part of the abundance mindset yeah. versus the scarcity, because like, if you know, and I'll use my hands, you know, mm-hmm. when you're like scarcity and you're trying to wrap your arms around everything and stuff just keeps like slipping out. And then mm-hmm. pretty soon it, what happens, you got a lot smaller and smaller uh, amount of things that you have your arms wrapped around, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whereas when you're like, you know, have an abundance mindset and you're trying to figure out how to work with this person or that person and, and you're just creating um, and you're, you know, uh, like it just, it just, it just grows, uh, you know, the opportunities grow because of an environment and, and thinking, you know, I, so. well, I, I love that hundred percent agree with that. And I think the reason why you're like, if we didn't do it, someone else would do it. I think the reason is because it's what's best for the customer period. Like what's best for the customer, best should, for the car. Yeah. 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 Best, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Best for the yep. customers, best for the car's customer's car, et cetera. Like if you don't have to cut off a panel, like if, if, no, if we could prevent any panel from ever getting cut off, it's better for the industry, better for the car, better for the manufacturer, better for the insurance company. Even if they don't believe that yet, they have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're like, Oh wait, you know, body shops every day. Like, Oh, we'd rather cut it off than, than do this other option. They just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. um and so that's, what, that's yeah. why yeah that's, that's what why. barry that, that's what barry tells me he's like yeah he's like look there's some stuff that i can fix with your uh system that i almost wish i couldn't yeah you know yeah. i mean like he's like there, that's a big check when you start cutting off quarter panels on a lot of cars and he said mm-hmm. like we're saving a ton of quarters and and you know we're getting paid decent to do it but we're leaving Not money like on we the were. table but yeah. but it's you know, but he just sees it, you know, he sees the future and he's like, okay, I I need to live in the future today. And we've all been there as dent guys too. Like, especially now that we're all connected through Facebook forums and seeing other people fixing dents, the, the fun, the fun one to use is always Bryce Kelly. Right. Cause he'll, I don't, I'm sure you know him or follow him. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like the body shop guy said, Barry Dorn, um, like, I wish I couldn't fix that. And sometimes I look at stuff now and I'm like, gosh, dang it. Like, I know it's possible. <laughs> I know it's possible now. And now I got to try, you know, now I got to, even if I can get 95%, um, it's still better than the alternative of cutting a quarter panel off and welding every, it, uh, it's, if you, you guys have all seen it, I don't need to go into that. Um, it's been an hour, about an hour. I try to, I try to keep them about that. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I've loved the way you, that you, the perspective you have on the industry. I hope that you guys learned a lot about Chris and why Kiko is here. And you're grateful that he made it through that five, $6 million in debt to make our little plastic tabs for us. Um, I like how I like to end every, every podcast is ask, where do you see the future of PDR as an industry going? Um, are we growing? Are we going to go away because cars will be made out of something else? Um, what do you think? 
Oh, I, I think we're growing, I, you know, and, and I, and I think it has everything to do with the number, you know, I've traveled body shops around the world and the number of cars that uh, get um, filler put in them uh, when they shouldn't in my mind, or they don't have to uh, just screams opportunity for paintless dent repair. So yeah. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that it it will grow and it is growing and the conversations that we have with we're not even that well plugged in but the conversations we have with with oems and then at icar i mean i just happen to know that like people don't want to put filler in cars and mm-hmm. so if that doesn't scream opportunity for um pdr i don't know what else, what does so Same. now does it mean that um the PDR industry, you know, to me, you know, if I look at collision, you know, the PDR industry is kind of like outside mm-hmm. looking in, you know, and um, I think that like a little slide will, be more, yeah, will yeah. be more integrated, more integrated with collision uh, over the course of time. But but PDR will be much greater uh, than it is today. There's there's an opportunity for it to be much greater than it is today. I 100% agree with you and I'm doing what I can to ensure that is ne- it happens and happens in a way that we all want to see happen. We, you and I have never talked about this. The way that you said that is like my answer. I've done a specific podcast on it. I've posted on my social media a million times about it. That exact thing, the percentage of cars getting fixed. You got to go. Oh, well, no, okay. I've got a guy here that's, yeah, yeah but yeah, have, have a seat, Jerry. I'm okay, done. last question. Um, <laughs> yeah. What percentage of cars going through a body shop do you think can be fixed well to a level that's satisfactory for a customer in in the collision? Like if they're, what percentage of cars going through body shops can be fixed in PDR? Just, I know there's uh, no scientific you know, evidence. Pick a number. I, I just think that there's... Is like 2% or like 40%? Oh, uh, no, I think it's, I think it's 40 50%. And as the future, like, you know, even uh, more as we all get the ADAS systems and such, you know, the, the, the nasty collisions, you know, uh, and, you know, I, I would say there's likely to be less totals, uh, but, you know, just as many dents, right. You know, and mm-hmm. more, you know, and like the, the ability for paint to hang in there, you know, and, you know, like really it's, it all, comes down to whether there's structural damage you know if there's structural damage then you can't do pdr you know there's there's things that 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 have to be replaced by oem standards and you know we 100 want all of our customers you know collision and pdr to adhere to to oem standards but um the i i believe that there's you know at least 50%, you know, can be okay so you think just real quick i'll let you go talk to jerry here or i think that was his name Yep. The, the collision industry is a $35 billion industry. Okay. So if there's 20% of that can be switched from there to PDR, granted the prices are different, things like that. You're calling it 50. Some people say 10, some people think it's 1%, like whatever. So let's say it's 20%. That seems to be a happy okay. medium. That's $7 billion worth of money that's being put into the collision side that can be put into the PDR side. When people say there's too many PDR technicians, we don't have room for growth, all that type of stuff. We're at least $7 billion short of what could be done in the PDR industry, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot, that's a lot I, of dollars. I think I, you know, the, I would say dollars wise, you know, let me correct uh, my position. You know, when you talk about number of dents, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that could be PDR, I, I, I was thinking of, 
dents, not dollars, you know, because right. really the dollars are associated with the bigger wrecks and the sure. bigger wrecks aren't, you know, PDR. So I, really would I wouldn't be wise enough to, I wouldn't have the data to be able to really comp. Yeah. I don't, I'm just saying on 2 billion, 4 billion. It's yeah, a, yeah. it's a I big mean, number. It's not a There's a lot of dollars of growth. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the, you know, when I said half the dents, I'm talking about, you know, the fact that there's a door ding, you know, every, big collision damage there's six door dings on the same car mm -hmm. that could be fixed right you sure, know and sure. so those are the things that that i know that's that's where my data comes from now you know i also know that it, that, that it is the the dollar drivers are the big damage and the big damages yeah. you know uh, replacement of you know and outside of pdr yep i agree i appreciate you coming on yeah any final words okay. before we let you go to your Been meeting fun. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I hope you guys learned a little bit more. I learned a lot about you outside of just the Kiko tools and that's why I do my podcast. So I hope a lot of people listen and, and, and we're able to hear the story behind, behind Kiko. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks Corey. Right, appreciate man. the opportunity. Yeah. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the PDR Coach Podcast. If you got any value from this podcast and want to do something for me, then the best way to do that is to subscribe to the podcast and give me a rating and review. If you want to know more about me, then you can find me on Instagram by searching for the PDR Coach or find me on my website at coachcoreyk.com, C-O-R-Y-K.com. Thank you for listening and I'll be back next week.